0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're here for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We don't really have a good martini today, but uh, we do have some good news we can mention right off the bat, and that is that, as we suspected uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the president is removing David Chipman as his nominee for uh, heading up the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, or at least that is now expected. Uh, The guy's basically a massive anti-gun activist, so he was not right for that position, and we kind of saw the handwriting on the wall for that before the... The recess, but uh, looks like it's going to be official very, very soon. But uh, OK, let's get into the stuff that's not good. <laughs> that starts with uh, the Biden administration's new laser focus on defeating the virus. And uh, basically, as Jim has pointed out, it's uh, pretty much the same as it was before, except he's gotten even tougher on federal employees. Politico says President Joe Biden on Thursday will require all federal workers to get vaccinated against COVID-19 with no option no option for being regularly tested as an alternative, according to a person familiar with the plan. The executive order represents a sharp escalation from Biden's earlier encouragement that federal employees seek vaccination or be subject to a range of restrictions and comes as the administration readies a redoubling of efforts to to rein in the virus. It also is going to apply to contractors. Uh, There's also going to be much uh, greater push for testing in schools and so forth. And uh, Jim, basically it's the the same plan. Um, I'm kind of frustrated by the number of Americans who love vaccine mandates. But uh, what do you make of Biden's uh, uh, latest push here?
1: Well, Greg, the first frustration is that the much-touted new strategy that they promised earlier this week is the same old strategy, but louder. (laughs) You just say it at a louder volume, people will will apparently listen. Uh, The other thing is that I, 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 you know, this is... A, am trying to think of the appropriate metaphor of uh, I think Dennis Miller used to use the joke all preparation and no H uh, a ludicrous amount of fanfare for something that ends up being not much of anything at all because we're in a country where 208 million Americans have at least one dose uh, and remember there are about 50 million Americans who are age 11 and younger who can't so actually in terms of it that adds out to about 75 percent a little bit more of all American adults are vaccinated or at least have one shot and presumably a bunch of the folks who have gotten that first shot will get around to getting their second shot eventually. The federal workforce is what, 2 million people total? This I have a very hard time believing that unvaccinated federal workers are really at the root of this problem. And that if we could just get them vaccinated, we'll make this really huge step. I, I really It seems you know, if there's a reason to, to believe that the percentage of federal workers vaccinated is different from the percentage of U.S. adults that are vaccinated, I'd love to see that. My guess is that somewhere around 75 percent of federal workers are vaccinated. So, OK, you're going to throw a few more into the fully vaccinated file. But um, I just don't see this as being that much of a dramatic difference. And, yeah, I, you know, it sounds like there's at least some... I think it was one survey back in July that said about 14% of people, 14% of U.S. adults are, I am never getting this vaccine no matter what. I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care. You're never putting that vaccine into me. So a good question is like, what do we as a country want to do with those people? And a lot of people seem very comfortable saying, well, we've got to figure out some way to force them to take this vaccine. I'm perfectly comfortable coexisting with the people who utterly refuse to take this vaccine. I think it's bad, I wish they would. I'll uh, you know, i encourage them, I have no objection to the, the prizes, the lotteries, all that different kind of stuff. There's some really intriguing stuff indicating that if you have gotten COVID early on in this pandemic and then you get the vaccine on top of that, that you have, for lack of a better term, super immunity, uh, that your immune system is really prepared for another recurrence of the, the kind that you got, but putting the vaccine on top of that makes you ready for all kinds of the variants, We at least the variants we have seen so far. So that, boy, that sounds really good. Wouldn't you really like to have super immunity? Um, so that would be my message to the remaining folks who are unvaccinated. If you don't want it, fine. I'm not going to make you do it. I, can't, I don't have the ability to make you do it. And I don't think the federal government has the ability to make you do it. But if you're to, you know, I, the aspect I'd love to see Biden talk about today, and I'm not expecting him to go into, I was like, because of the contagiousness of the Delta variant, there's a really good chance you're going to run into it at some point. It's, it's it's like the common cold. It's just going to float around everywhere. So here's the question. If you're almost destined to run into it at some point, don't you want to your body to be at maximum preparation? Now, are there better treatments out there? Monocolonial antibodies? And, and yes, that's you know, we're, we're doing a better job of keeping the people alive who catch COVID-19. And as always, young and healthy people who catch COVID-19, their odds of coming through this are hunky-dory. But you notice that the number of people who are hospitalized and who are dying among the elderly have dropped, you know, not just precipitously, dramatically since the vaccination effort rolled out amongst the elderly, where I think we're you know, now beyond 92% of American senior citizens have been vaccinated. That's a really good thing. We, I, we, I, that would, my pitch to everybody else who's unvaccinated would be that. I don't think we're gonna get you fired if you don't take the vaccine. I don't think that's really going to uh, be the right approach. It's clearly not a different approach. It clearly is not a new strategy. Um, and I don't see think this will see dramatically different results from what we've seen so far, Greg.
0: What we will hear from Joe Biden, of course, is uh, browbeating business owners uh, to force their employees uh, to get it. Uh, so therefore, the uh, customers uh, will be uh, protected and so forth. But as you point out, it's, it's really an issue of should you get it versus You have to get it. That is the big divide here. I think uh, most people would uh, encourage uh, the vaccine. It's just a matter of whether you have to. And so for Biden to keep pushing down this road and to, uh, again, push business owners into that uh, direction is a very, very different story. Last thing on this issue, you mentioned superimmunity, but uh, what about the natural immunity? We've seen studies lately that suggest it might last a bit longer uh, than the uh, vaccines, or and, and it's certainly as as strong. You might want the superimmunity, but should you uh, have to uh, in these situations if you've got the natural immunity? I think there's going to be some fights here. In fact, I think there was a uh, George Mason University professor that just won his lawsuit against the school because he already had had COVID and uh, and believes his natural immunity can stand up to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, Greg, from the very beginning of this, we've had this dynamic of health experts and public health officials not giving the answer of what they really think, not giving the answer that they you know, the data necessarily always supports, but being much more of a well, this is the answer that I think will get the people to make the right decisions. And kind of the, the, the suggestion that they're not real, they're, they're almost like playing a psychology game, right? What does it take to get somebody uh, who uh, to, to make to, to get the general public to make the right decisions there? If it turned out that having the virus and then, um, you know, that you, you, you have the virus, your body fights off it, you have the antibodies. If that was actually better than vaccines, then all of a sudden everyone who should go out and get a vaccine, well, that's not necessarily true. Again, I think vaccines have the other chances of you having a bad reaction are exceptionally small. If you have any questions, talk to your doctor. But maybe it really isn't such a huge priority to get people vaccinated if they've had it before and if their body still has if the antibodies. Now we've had different studies that have debated how much your antibodies die off. We're with a little bit concerned about you know if you had one type, is the next are you your body going to be as prepared for the next variant or something like that? I'm sure the attitude of most public health uh, experts is you know what? let's just get as many people vaccinated as possible. And again, we've done not that bad. Seventy five percent of adults is really not that bad. Um, and we've only had the ones available for the teenagers for the past couple of months. So, um, you know, we'll see how this shakes out. But uh, it just kind of feels like there's been this almost a sales pitch, right? This idea that they're giving you the message that they think will most likely to alter your behavior in the direction they want instead of telling you the truth, even if some of the you know information that's true turns out to be inconvenient.
0: And that's why their reputation is totally in the crapper from whether you should wear masks to where the virus came from to this. Uh, it's not telling you the truth. It's telling you what they think is going to be most convincing to you. And that's why they're in a world of hurt in these situations. And, uh, and one of the things they won't admit, of course, is that While, you know, they're making it sound like the entire list of holdouts is in MAGA country, a lot of it's in the inner city, too. you got a lot of minorities who don't trust the system either. And so uh, the narrative and the facts are not lining up in some of these cases. But uh, we will see where it goes from here and what else Biden throws into his uh, presentation later this afternoon. Uh, In the meantime... uh Get your your multivitamins going. Uh, That always helps as well. But we deserve to know what we're putting into our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something we take every day. And Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin is formulated with high-quality nutrients in bioavailable forms your body can actually use. You're not going to find any sugars, GMOs, major allergens, synthetic fillers, artificial colors, none of that. In addition to all the natural things, you'll also have the fresh taste and the delayed release capsule design that makes taking your vitamins really easy. I've been uh, using Ritual multivitamins for a long time. Very easy to take. Love the fact that they've got uh, ingredients in there that'll strengthen your immune system like the zinc and the vitamin C and the
1: vitamin D. Uh,
0: Definitely a great supplement to what you're already doing.
1: Ritual is the multivitamin reimagined. A multivitamin should contain key nutrients in forms that your body can actually use to help fill gaps in your diet and no shady extras. Ritual's delayed-release capsule design delivers high-quality nutrients, including vitamin D3, in just two daily pills. And Ritual's made traceable, which means you'll always know what nutrients you're taking and where they come from, thanks to Ritual's one-of-a-kind, visible supply chain. So get your key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is
0: offering 3Martini Lunch listeners 10% off during your first three months. Visit Ritual.com slash martini to start your Ritual today. Again, Ritual.com. Slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move on to our second martini. I guess the first one was uh, kind of crazy since nothing's really changing all that much. This one's definitely bad. It's the naivete of the Biden national security and foreign policy teams, because, man, every everything they said the Taliban would do. Uh, now Lloyd Austin and Tony Blinken are showing up like uh The folks who were shocked that there was gambling going on at Ricks in Casablanca. It's just, I can't believe the Taliban wouldn't follow up on its word on this stuff. Two different ways that this is happening here. Actually, three. But uh, first of all, this is courtesy of ABC News. Uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin worried that the Taliban might allow al-Qaeda to uh, build roots in Afghanistan again. It's shocking to think that that might actually happen, of course. He says the whole community is kind of watching to see what happens and whether or not al-Qaeda has the ability to regenerate in Afghanistan. The nature of Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State is they will always attempt to find space to grow and regenerate, whether it's there, whether it's in Somalia, or whether it's in any other ungoverned space. I think that's the nature of the organization. True. Next quote, We put the Taliban on notice. That we expect them to not allow that to happen, said Austin, referring to the possibility of al-Qaeda using Afghanistan as a staging base in the future. Uh, He says that they can keep an eye on uh, terrorist activities in Afghanistan by using surveillance and strike aircraft based elsewhere, including the Persian Gulf. However, he has acknowledged that it will be more difficult without U.S. troops and intelligence teams based in Afghanistan. You think? Uh, As for Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, uh, after on Tuesday saying there's no hint of a hostage situation in mazar sharif he is now admitting, without using the word hostage, that uh, the Taliban won't let the planes leave there. As you point out in the Jolt today, Jim, uh, a plane did leave from Kabul today, so uh, a few more Americans got out as well as some other people. So we'll take good news anywhere we can get it there. But the other news, Jim, is that uh, the international community is very disappointed in the Taliban for the constitution of its new interim government. Jim, just listen to this blistering denunciation. Nah, I'm just kidding, he's using the most mealy-mouthed language possible.
1: With regard to the composition of this uh, government or or, or interim government, um, I noted uh, the fact that it certainly does not meet the test of inclusivity um, and it includes uh, people who um, have uh, very challenging track records
0: people with very challenging track records. Jim, that's the best uh, uh, euphemism I've seen out of a Democratic administration since terrorist attacks were referred to as man-made disasters during the Obama years.
1: Greg, there's a real history to this because I can remember going back to the, I'm going to ask you know, Clinton's second term, Madeleine Albright, who really didn't like at some point an interviewer using the term rogue states. This was describing Iran, North Korea, Saddam Hussein's Iraq. Uh, and she preferred the term, we prefer the term states of concern. Now, I think it was, you know, I don't know if it was Dennis Miller somebody who used to joke that once you go to the State Department, uh, they automatically, there's a surgical procedure in which they remove your spine uh, so that you can continue to do your job and be this, you know, a blob-like jellyfish that never stands up for anything. First of all, listening to that audio, Greg, of all the possible options for Joe Biden's Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken was seen as the, the, one of the more hawkish ones. I think that was a misplaced optimism. I don't see, not only do I not see any hawkish or tough instincts out of him, I think it was uh, Hugh Hewitt was doing an interview with Chris Wallace, and Chris Wallace has a new book out about the bin Laden raid, and Blinken appears a few times early on because he was uh, a key aide, might have been the national security advisor to uh, Joe Biden early in the first term of the Obama presidency. And then Blinken disappears from the book, and it was kind of interesting to see uh Chris Wallace agreeing with Hugh Hewitt that Blinken is really just what we can debate about whether he's up to the administrative part of the job but in terms of the public communications he's exactly like the colorless pallid I hate to say weak but I don't think there's any other way to put it like he you know that that, these this language the delivery I'm sure he thinks he's being like calm and and reassuring but in the end He looks inert. He there's no passion. And Americans being held by the Taliban and not being allowed to leave. Oh, by the way, first of all, we call that hostages. (laughs) Um, and then the second thing is just that like this should make you angry. This should make you passionate. This should get your blood pumping. And if it doesn't, get out of the job for someone who does. Um, this administration claims that it cares, but we're not seeing it in the action. And I think you can argue we don't see it in the words. When they say, you know challenging individuals who are in this. Well, one of them is the head of the Haqqani network. They're a terrorist group, right? That's, That's problem number one. And then this guy, this Haqqani network is reportedly one of the ones who has one of the Americans who was abducted in January 2020. So even separate from the Americans who could not get out before the Taliban came to power, this is somebody who has an American hostage. This is a hell of a lot more than challenging. This is a flat out malevolent and evil group that is coming to power. And the idea of, you know, we're going to hold them and all that stuff, the entire morning jolt is about this nonsensical claim from uh, Jen Saki saying that, no, oh, we've got access to global financial markets, the global community. And that's big. Le- no, it's not. These guys burn the faces of schoolgirls with acid. Do you think they care what the international community thinks? Do you think they care about access to international markets? Look at who you are dealing with. And this is like the this is, you know, in some ways, International Diplomacy 101, this this concept of mirror imaging, this idea that you go into dealings with another country and you assume that things that are important to you must be important to them. When in fact, that may or may not be the case at all. In the case of the Taliban, I don't see any evidence that they care that much about international recognition or access to international trade or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, And by the way, even if they did, it certainly looks like China and Russia have a much higher tolerance for uh, all of the, you know, abominable actions of the Taliban. But even if they did, like, again, like, do these guys look like, you know, they're, they're putting terrorists in their government. They're, they're threatening genocide against particular groups. They're whipping women in the streets. Does this look like a group that cares about international opinion? And if they don't care about international opinion, stop trying to use international opinion as a pressure point against them. You have no leverage. The only language the Taliban understands is force. And our president just made sure we have no more ability to put to, to generate any force against them. We have walked ourselves into a box canyon, and there are exceptionally few good options left. Greg, I'm just going to observe that, like, I believe that on September 11th, the Taliban is supposed to have the big swearing-in ceremony for their government, which means they're going to have all the leaders of their government in one place at one time. <laughs> I'm just... I don't want to you know who will who rid me of this troublesome piece. Be a shame if we had a, a drone accident or something. We accidentally fired and blew up the whole building and killed all of them in one fell swoop. Boy, wouldn't that be terrible? Yeah, awful. Yeah. Hope nobody's Bummer. listening
0: to that idea
1: and putting together a plan to do something about it. I'm just, this. I'm look, Greg. Neither you and I are calling for it. We're just saying that they're at the coordinates four six two eight, <laughs>
0: <laughs> latitude and longitude. Just in case you're interested in sending a card uh, just to thinking. congratulate just, them. Just you know, yeah. They also understand cash, unfortunately, so I'm just wondering if uh, that's going to be the way we finally resolve what is essentially a hostage crisis over there now. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Wouldn't be the first time a Democratic administration sent lots of cash. All right, let's talk about uh, ways to relax after a very stressful bad martini, and that is with the wonderful products from my pillow. Look, there's nothing better than slipping into bed with soft, comfortable sheets at the end of a very long day and my pillow wants you to sleep better with their Giza dream sheets but the products don't stop there you've got the towels you've got the pillows
1: themselves of course and the great my slippers right now for a limited time you can receive 50% off of any Giza dream sheets with a price as low as $49.99 and you can get 50% off my slippers i don't mean my slippers as in the ones i'm wearing right now but i mean my slippers from my pillow As for those Giza Dream sheets, imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. Its long staple cotton makes it ultra-soft and breathable. These sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable. They have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. Now, before you
0: slip into those dream sheets, slip out of your My Slippers, which took two years to develop. They're designed to be worn indoors and outdoors all day long. The My Pillow foam and impact gel really does prevent fatigue. I can certainly attest to that. I usually like to walk around the house just in socks, but when it comes to the My Slippers, it's actually more comfortable than just walking around on your own feet. And it's also made with quality leather suede. Now, for a limited time, you can save 50% on all Giza Dream Sheets and the My Slippers, Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listeners Square, and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 and use the promo code there. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Don't miss the sale of the year. That's MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. All right, Jim. We're bookending today's Three Martini Lunch with discussions of COVID policy. We talked about uh, the vaccine mandates that Biden will be uh, rolling out today. And by the time some of you hear the podcast, you'll have already done it. Uh, On the other side is what Biden is doing in terms of travel restrictions. And as you have documented uh, very well, Jim, uh, it makes no sense. Uh, He has uh, put very serious travel restrictions in place for much of Europe, including countries where the vaccination rate is uh, very, very high compared to other countries. And then some other parts of the world where the vaccination rates aren't nearly as good. Yeah, come on in. So what's really going on here?
1: Yeah. So early on in the pandemic, uh, the Trump administration enacts a uh, restrictions on people entering the country from china okay that that everybody kind of understood that everybody recognized that that's where the virus origin the virus originated you know from the lab i'm sorry allegedly from the lab maybe from the lab (laughs) um and then you know shortly thereafter you saw uh steps that included like uh you know iran and and other places where we saw uh you know various uh variants coming and and things like that and whether or not you know it, it may not be exactly what you uh Uh, You know, you can understand how this would, you know, inconvenience a lot of people's lives and people who have relatives in other countries want them to be able to visit. But you could say, okay, well, there's just too many coming from the risk from China is too bad. The risk from Iran is so bad. And right towards the end of the Trump administration, the attitude was like, okay, well, Europe's not looking so bad. We're going to we're going to let them come in. Um, But the Biden administration, five days after he's in office, he's like, no, no, we're keeping all these. We're doing the entire uh, European Shenzhen area. I know that sounds like an evil ninja from the Shang Chi movie, but Shenzhen area basically it's most of continental Europe. It's not exactly everything in the EU, but it's all the what we, uh, it's all the European countries that come to mind. You know, the uh, travel restrictions also apply to the United Kingdom. Also applies to the Republic of Ireland. Sorry, colleague Michael Brendan Doherty. Uh, it also applies to Brazil, where there'd been one of those or, uh, one of those variants that originated. South Africa, where one of the variants that originated, and India, which was you know is like really being devastated and hit really hard. Now, the irony is that this is you know all this was announced back in in January since then a whole bunch of countries have ended up with uh, much higher uh, vaccination rates and so you know you'd say okay that the risk from the united kingdom now is very different than it was back in january for all these european countries whereas for these you know meanwhile these variants that we were really worried about from south africa and from brazil and from places like that they've spread to a bunch of other parts of the world so if you're trying to keep out I know we all i know we're now called. you know the the names of the viruses and variants are now sound like a whole bunch of you know uh raging keggers of, of fraternities but you know <laughs> back then it's like oh the brazilian variant we don't want people from there well the brazilian variant has now spread to a bunch of other countries oh the south african variant well the south african variant has now been so we now are at a point where the biden administration's policy on who has a harder time to get into the country well, you know, say it's very tough to get in from, say, Iceland, because Iceland is part of the Schengen area. But never mind the fact that, you know, 75 percent of the population is adults and 73 percent of the citizens are fully vaccinated, meaning that almost every adult in Iceland is fully vaccinated and Iceland may well be the most vaccinated country in the entire world. And everything I'm saying for Iceland is true to a slightly lesser degree for Malta, Portugal, Spain, Denmark, Belgium, San Marino, France, Ireland. They all have really high vaccination rates. You don't have these same kind of restrictions for places like Yemen or South Sudan or Chad or Haiti or Turkmenistan or Cameroon, all of which are, if not at 0% vaccinated, they're they're like in the single digits. Very, very few people are are vaccinated. Now, this is separate. Does the the U.S. require everyone who's coming into the country to get a negative test or be vaccinated? Yes. Uh, But what what the executive order did was you basically can't go in straight from Uh, unless you're a diplomat or something like that, you can't fly in straight from Portugal, Spain, Ireland, or something like that. You have to spend 14 days in one of these other countries, and then you can fly in. So a lot of people either can't afford the time or can't afford the expense of staying in another country for 14 days, not being in that. And people have said, look, maybe this made sense in January or in the early days of this pandemic. It doesn't make nearly as much sense now. And it certainly doesn't make sense to have much tougher restrictions on people in highly vaccinated countries than you do in countries who have very poor vaccination rates. Nothing makes sense. It's President Mr. Magoo. He just doesn't see it. And he's just not going to probably not going to take any questions about it today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Come on, man. Give him a break. (laughs) Just kidding. He deserves no breaks on any of these stories. Jim, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. We're always happy to have new listeners. Uh, also, uh, thank you so much for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.